Hello and welcome to the next class. I'm Rob Birdsell, your host, and as always, I'm joined by my co-host, Tom Birdford. Tom, welcome. Thanks, Rob. Great to be here. Tom, you're not in your usual office. Uh, no, I'm in, in West Virginia today on a little mini break uh, just uh, the, for the last of, of summer, but uh, it's been a busy August getting school back up and running, particularly with the teacher shortages, you know, helping schools around the country. So, yeah. Great. Well, we are excited for season three of the next class. I uh, can't believe it's been three years since we began this, and we're very excited to kick off season three with our guest, uh, Governor Jeb Bush. Governor Bush, welcome to the next class. Great being with you guys. So, Jeb, the last time we did this, uh, it was a different world we were living in. Uh, we totally. actually flew down to Florida, and we're in your conference room. Uh, and I think it may have been my last trip before the pandemic hit. Yeah, it's uh, the world has changed, uh, some for the worse and some, you know, great crises always historically have yielded acceleration of really positive trends, uh, one of which I'm very passionate about, just as you guys are, which is empowering parents to make choices for their children in the most important decision they make, which is their child's education. And uh, there's a renaissance going on across the country right now. Uh, accelerated by the pandemic and parents awareness of how their kids were doing um and thank god i live in florida where <laughs> where we had a governor that realized that the science suggested that schools should remain open and uh it just it breaks my heart to think of you know the whatever six hundred thousand kids in los angeles uh, school district or new york where uh political correctness basically forced teachers and, and students to, to stay away from the classroom and get sicker, you know, by the way, right, by being right. outside the classroom, the learning losses are, we're going to pay a heavy price in our country for a long while. So good news and bad news. Sure. And, and yeah. the schools that we work with, the Catholic schools, have, you know, they certainly opened a lot earlier. And as soon as they could, many of the schools I work with, you know, some, some really didn't miss a beat and they, um, and their, their students, you know, uh, accelerated their learning because of that. What's yeah. interesting is you look at the decrease in the traditional public school student population, which continues, particularly in the big teeming urban districts. Uh, there was a massive expansion, as you might expect, in homeschooling, which hasn't gone back to its historic level. It's actually remained uh, significantly higher than pre-pandemic. Charter schools have shown increases and private schools, in spite of the fact that yep. for a year, Absolutely. these you know, parents were um, forced to pay, you know, had to come out of pocket. Uh, private school enrollment, Catholic school enrollment has seen an increase. So uh, those are leading indicators, I think, of, of uh, a, uh, a movement that is going to be really good for student learning and for parental choice across the country. Yeah. And Jeb, I was actually on a phone call this week with a, a principal near you, Sister Margaret Ann. Uh, a Catholic school, high school down there. And um, she told me that all of their high schools are at capacity. All the Catholic high schools in the Archdiocese of Miami are at capacity for the first time in who knows how long. But uh, yeah, that was I mean, you, they, they were closing elementary schools not that long ago, a decade ago. They closed one of the high schools um, and now they're back. You know, it's Miami's growing, which helps. But yep. uh, I think Look, culturally, we're going through this really weird period. I, 
traditional families are looking at you know pronouns and I mean, really weird stuff it's hard to even understand um and they they want to get back to the basics and you know a very faith oriented high academic standard kind of education experience has broad appeal these days you know jeb one of the things that um we've talked about on this show before is is on this podcast is the difference between remote education which some schools did during the pandemic which is really just videoing i mean zooming teachers into family homes, which didn't work well, uh, versus proper online education, which is a supplement to what happens in a school in person with an in-person teacher, but uses an online curriculum. Um, and this came, uh, these dis this distinction came clear during the pandemic and the benefits of online education in addition to in-person education became really true. But You've got quite a lot of experience with online education yourself. Could you could you tell us a little bit about that, please? Sure. When I was governor, we I think we were the first state, and, and it was we were first for a while. I remember Bill Bennett was on the board of K twelve. Now it's called Strive, and uh, he may have lobbied me. I think that's how it happened. Anyway, we we uh, allocated resources from the legislature to um, have Connections Academy and uh, K twelve come, and at the same time. Uh, my predecessor, uh, under his last couple of years, began uh, Florida Virtual School, but it was a tiny uh, offering at the time, and we dramatically expanded it uh, to be the largest virtual school, I think, in the country, uh, and, a, and an option for a lot of really interesting things. So we saw that we had, uh, you know, we started grading schools A through F. We were the first state to do that, and in the A and B schools, you know, many AP classes were available. In the DNF schools, very few. So we created the first partnership with the college board to train teachers, to recruit teachers, and then to dramatically expand AP offerings to um, lower performing schools, which were typically in the lower, you know, income communities. And um, we dramatically expanded AP classes and Florida Virtual School was one of the means by which we did that. It was a really important uh, accelerator for that. Uh, and now, you know, you could see hybrid learning becoming more, just as we have hybrid work, mm -hmm. you know, I'm working in my office today. Uh, actually, I've, I'm, we never I'm really shut Virginia. our office down. Yep. <laughs> you know, most, people, most people work uh, in a lot of different places now because they can. There was a realization you don't have to travel. You can work in a hybrid format and be as productive or more so. I think schools also can embrace this idea. Um, and, and so there's, I know we're going to talk about uh, course choice, which is something that we initiated in Florida as well, and Louisiana embraced it as well. There's a lot of interest in that to kind of break up the, you know, the the offering and make it more customized for the unique needs of each student and for parents. And so online learning is a critical element of that. There's no question that that can be uh, a useful tool. Plus, there are a lot of a lot of students that have unique, you know, physical challenges or health challenges that um, can't go to school. And so online learning also provides uh, real help there. One of the things that I'd like to see more of is homeschooling, where you can imagine a homeschooled child being able to get their education at home, but also access either a private or a public school for extracurricular activities. And online learning there is a really, again, an, another critical element of that 
customized kind of learning experience. And, and Jim, could we just continue down that path on this course choice um, movement? Last time you and I were together, we, we spoke a lot about school choice, which obviously we're quite aligned with with uh, that movement. But uh, tell me your thoughts on course choice and, and what does that mean for the future of education? So I've always had this, it's, you know, the it's a dream of mine. So, you know, a girl can dream. Let me dream just for a brief moment. Um, you know, it's the reality is that when you have 13,000 government run, unionized, politicized monopolies, this dream has been a challenge to implement. But imagine the best physics teacher, the best teachers of all these exciting different courses that have that, you know, are best of class in the world and creating a repository of these incredible classes where irrespective of the geography of where you are, you could uh, use your use the money from that that is that comes because you're a you know a, a student in a particular state to be able to access that and maybe teachers then are in the classroom or um, online you have you have a guide someone who can help you but the the great content is delivered by a world class teacher and and you know you're you're creating a repository of not just courses but you could also do the same as Khan Academy does for snippets of courses. So, and, and it's monitored in a way that's not government driven, it's not censored, it's not, you know, it's not politicized, but you have this offering and the money following the child allow that child and that family to access those courses. That ultimately, I think, would accelerate the chance for students to learn uh, at a more accelerated pace. That's my dream. You got a lot, there's a lot of vested interest between that dream coming becoming true. You got to get the legislature to fund education in a different way. Uh, education savings account ultimately, I think, would be the path forward to make this happen faster. Um, the public school system, you know, believes that the money should be for the system. And so they're always threatened when you have you're shifting power to parents. They go nuts. Um, Teachers feel threatened by it, but actually, I think the teaching experience could be much uh, more interesting to be a coach where students are empowered to make more of these, the, the learning decisions their own. I mean, that they're they're learning, and if they have a challenge, the teacher can come help them. Um, this is, you know, this is being done in different parts of the world. The the knowledge schools in, in um in Sweden have a version of this. There's other places where they're doing this. And I think ultimately this should be one of the offerings for um, the 74 million students in our, in our, you know, in our K-12 system. Well, you know, on that dream, Jeff, I, I have a, a dream also. Um, at the Holocaust Museum here in Chicago, uh, there's an amazing exhibit that George Lucas and the USC Film School did. What they did is they they identified a number of survivors of the Holocaust that were still alive. And yeah. they went and they interviewed them and everything they learned from the interview, they went and did a massive research project on. So if you came over on such and such a boat, they went and found any other people on that boat to ask about the experience. You went to this school, they went to see anybody still in that school. And so they learned really everything about this person. They came back and did uh, eight days of eight hour interviews with the person asking all the questions that they now had information about. And they filmed it with you know, 50, 60 different cameras at the person. Uh, they would have the same outfit on every day. 
at the end of the day, they change it, have it dry cleaned and come back and have the same outfit on. And it created uh, a hologram hologram from that. Um, right. And you uh, actually went with Father Foley. Father Foley and I went to see this. And you could ask this hologram any question about their life. I mean, you can't ask them, like, how the Packers do last night. But yeah. anything, well, like, tell me about your father after, you know, he went to uh, some, you know, something. And she would answer. Originally, she would get, this, it was a woman that Father Foley and I saw, you know, she originally got 70, 75% of the answers right. By the time he and I went, 98% of her answers were correct. But, and and, and now, it's in that person's voice, right, Rob? Yeah. I mean, I mean it's I mean, as it, if you are talking to a Holocaust survivor. So That's what I heard. Uh, I mean, this is, this is the meta, you know, formerly known as Facebook uh, belief <laughs> that the metaverse is going to be uh, a, a place where you, you can work, you know, there'll be worker, there'll be productivity increases that we can't imagine. And it'll be for work, for play, for learning and across the board. There's a virtual uh, reality charter school in Naples, Florida, that has just came, started this uh, last year. And, and it's, I think they've got about 800 kids or something. And, and the technology in this is going to expand dramatically. So, yeah. you know, the, the, the system, I think our, how we educate children should recognize that every child is different and distinct and unique. Every family has different circumstances and the homogenized, you know, model may have worked for a homogenized life, but we don't have that. And it's, it's, you know, it's actually our strength as a nation is this rich diversity. And, uh, you know, we should focus on what our shared values are, but we should let, let a thousand flowers bloom and let, you know, give parents not not mal like but you know good 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 flowers blooming uh and and let and give give parents choices and make them informed consumers for their children give them the information don't 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 shut them out and make them kind of blindly make these choices uh and then make sure there's accountability around it that there's fiscal responsibility around it all the things that you would want because public dollars are going following the child we would have a much more exciting system with much more innovation. And, it, it, you know, if it doesn't work, you modify it. Now, if it doesn't work, you hide it. <laughs> you, you, you hide the failure. It's uh, And it's so damaging, particularly for kids that don't start school. Um, you know, they start school behind. And if yeah. you just have a system where you're never admitting, you know, if you don't start with the premise that every child can learn, that God gave child, all children this ability, and it's up to us to organize ourselves in a different way. And if it's harder for them to learn, then more resources and more effort and more energy needs to go into it. Gosh, I mean, we could we could solve so many problems in our country if we really made this the first and highest priority. Yeah. One of the one of the challenges, though, I mean, we we've, we've talked a lot, and I, I think about the the blend or the, or the mix of using technology well. Mm -hmm. uh, but at the same time, we need teachers in our schools, teachers who can interact with the kids and personalize the instruction to each individual kid and student. But, you know, our NBC News has been doing this series on the teacher shortage. Um, and I think that if I'm not mistaken, the number is in the past year, 800,000 teachers have left the profession. And Rob, you and I from from our work with, uh, you know, Catholic Virtual know there's a huge teacher shortage going on. 
And so, uh, Jeb, I was just wondering what your thoughts might be. What's at the root of this teacher shortage crisis? And, and what do you think we can do about it? I think there are a lot of uh, challenges. One is just demography. Um, teaching, you know, the teaching uh, profession, there's a lot of, uh, just as it is for nurses and other professions, a lot of uh, trained, qualified teachers are reaching retirement age. Um, so that's one challenge. We've not replenished it. Uh, the second, I would say, is our schools of education are just not relevant anymore. Um, they're teaching, you know, the history of teaching, <laughs> whatever they're teaching. They're not teaching, you know, the number of teachers that come to the classroom unprepared to deal with uh, classroom management, which is more of a challenge today than it was, or the science of reading. We've had a whole generation of teachers that basically were told uh, that there was no science of reading. There's kind of every every person to themselves. We now, I mean, I, I thought it was a, a momentous event when the New York Times wrote a very critical article on the professor at Columbia that was the leading light for whole language uh, uh, reading approach, which has failed. It's a complete failure. Uh, and there's a movement now afoot led by Mississippi, which has had the greatest gains in literacy for early, uh, you know, third than the fourth grade NAEP tests. Uh, they've had lights out improvement because they're focused on the science of reading and teachers need to be trained on that. And they're not. Um, and so frustration of classrooms, the uh, unprepared nature of teachers, uh, the fact that great teachers are paid you know the same as a teacher who's mediocre and really bad teachers sometimes continue to teach even though they should be removed um that uh, that system yields a pretty bad result now how do you solve it i think we need major reform of our schools of education uh states that are leading the way like florida and others there's many others now that look at alternative certification if you're you know if you're a subject matter expert because you were a engineer working for Lockheed Martin or something like that, you can easily transfer transfer those skills into the classroom in a public or private setting. Uh, and it should be easier to get a certification if you have those skills. States that are really rigid about this because they're dominated by unions don't like that, but you know that's why we have this shortage. Um, and I would say there's another great model that's being developed led by Tennessee uh, called the uh, the Tennessee apprenticeship uh, model, and they're the first state that has been designated a that the tennis the teacher apprenticeship uh, program has been certified as a traditional apprenticeship uh, approach. They take high school kids and put them as apprentices in the classroom. They're taking they're getting college level credit. It doesn't cost a penny. They've used the um, I don't know what the, there's a fancy word for, it, but I call it the bailout money uh, that came from one of the COVID uh, mm, funding initiatives, yeah. and they're they're and they create partnerships with the sc the school districts and and uh, teacher preparation uh, organizations, both public and private, and it is incredibly popular, and students are are getting classroom experience before they become teachers. So all of the barriers that create, you know, this problem of teachers leaving the profession because they're frustrated, many times just out of frustration, they can't, you know, they're having a hard time teaching because they've never been taught how to teach. Uh, those, those problems go away. And these kids are getting, uh, they're getting paid as apprentices. And so they're not leaving college debt-free. I mean, 
you know, with debt burdens, they're, they're leaving college debt free and they can immediately start to teach. So a lot of innovations uh, like that, I think, are necessary to deal with this big challenge. You know, Jeb, one of the things we're doing, Tom and I are working on is um, for Catholic schools that are facing these teacher shortages, we are uh, finding teachers around the, the country to serve these schools. So, for example, Cristo Rey Tucson uh, had three teacher openings they knew about in April. They advertised and recruited all summer. They had one applicant and she was from the Philippines. So the president called me and said, can you help? So Tom and I met the three teachers that are now um, via Zoom teaching English, theology, and chemistry to Cristo Tucson from Buffalo, Chicago, and New York. And um, I talked to the president a month in. He said, it's going so well. Uh, I asked the seniors what they thought of the environmental science, not chemistry, environment, environmental science. And he said they were they were frustrated because the teacher is actually calling on them, cold calling and asking them questions. And he said they didn't realize they actually just gave them a, uh, gave the teacher a you know a shout out. And they thought they're Rob. Coming. You may you, you may not remember this, Rob, but I gave you an idea. I don't know, pretty five years ago, which was Crystal Ray has this network of great schools, and they have great teachers inside those schools. Why not do what I described in the course choice part of our conversation? Take the best. You know, you have shortages, particularly. You know, the teaching shortage gets worse in underserved areas, but it also gets worse in, you know, subject matters that are you know, math and science particularly. Right. So replicate what you just described um, across the board. You know, Miami just opened this week, uh, finally, the Crystal Ray in Miami. Yeah, and, I saw that. You know, it, would be, it would be an extraordinary way to, to deal with teacher shortage, but just improve teacher quality. And you could have coaches inside the schools that could help um, the students. And Crystal Ray would be perfect because these students are self-starters. They, right. you know, they're going to work. Yeah, uh, they're motivated, yeah, and right. and yeah. they could learn faster uh, by having you know they'll be motivated to learn in that kind of format far better than maybe a traditional you know public school. Yeah, no, it's, well, it's, think, been, yeah. it's been going great, and you're right. We do uh, the school does have a classroom coach. In there because you got to you know basic classroom management um but it, it's an interesting idea to do it across the crease story network to leverage their their um their teachers especially in the hard to fill places but I we, have even, a, we have even a we have a school that could, I've, I've been yeah. part of it's a, a charter school in in uh, babcock ranch in southwest florida and they have a similar kind of arrangement where they bring online you know they bring content um via zoom or some you know, means uh, into the classroom and they'll have classes that'll have 50, 60 kids in them. And then they'll break up into work groups and other things. So, you know, look, we're living in the in, in a very dynamic world. 21st century is full of uh, we have more ability, more technology, more innovation available to us than we ever had. And we still operate. Most schools still operate as though it's 1950 or 1920 even. I mean, it's it's pretty absurd if you think about it. Not many parts of our lives have been as uh, stasis as uh, education. Yep. Yeah. Now we're going to take a brief pause to hear a word from our sponsor, and we'll be right back with Jeb Bush. Catholic Virtual is the trusted online education partner of Catholic schools worldwide. We develop customized online learning solutions to meet the needs of our partner schools and their students. Visit our website at www.catholicvirtual.com to learn more. Now back to the episode. So I think one thing just to follow up on that last point is, Rob, you and I have talked about uh, doing language courses where your modern language teacher lives 
in France or China or wherever. Uh, just such in one sense now with technology, that's that's a no brainer. And yet it uh, not something that that happens uh, um, uh, particularly well. So but one 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 final question, Jeb, is just to really talk about the the I mean, we know the pandemic has had a dramatic effect on uh, on the world and every aspect of our lives in many ways. And in education, you know, the families chose um, the best option for their child and were able to do so in many ways through the pandemic. And we've talked about that. But can you talk a little bit about the non-financial importance of having lots of educational options and choices for families? Well, first of all, the this movement towards education savings account, I think, is incredibly exciting because it's not just saying, you know, you can go to a private school you go to a Catholic school, you can go to a, you know, a, a, a charter school. It's yeah. saying your, your child is unique and precious and they may have, they may have transportation issues. You know, the world, everybody's got a challenge. Every, every family has a challenge. Yeah. It could be that a, you know, a student, um, maybe, maybe it's better to, to, um, uh, to, to do partially remote. Maybe it's better to go to school where close to where um, the spouse works because it's easier to pick that child up. Maybe the child has healthcare challenges. So providing a, a, a education savings account that allows for flexibility, not just yeah. for tuition in a private school, but for all sorts of other issues. Maybe there needs to be a real focus on maybe the child has dyslexia and needs a, a more intense focus. So um, what I'm excited about is that Arizona now is the first state to create this statewide uh, ESA. They already had massive, you know, parental choice prior. West Virginia, where you are uh, today, mm -hmm. did yep. it as well, you know, with a yep. phase in over a long period of time. My prediction is Florida being a competitive place in education issues will will likely follow suit with Arizona. And um, and so that that creates the option, the, the possibility of customizing the learning experience and it's not all about money. It's about the the life of a of a child that could be very different in one place than the other. Uh, and the benefits of doing this is that all schools improve. I mean, there's mm -hmm. enough data. Um, you know, we when I when I got to be got to be governor, which was a real privilege, I did something that was, you know, I'm not sure. I, I can't remember why we did it, but it turned out to be a godsend, which was we created a I'm not kidding data bank you know, of information yeah. of student achievement. So you can track a child with who's, you know, who's, who was, who was their teacher, what school, what, you know, what college did they go to and what job they had. That information mm -hmm. creates all sorts of abilities to show how's it, how's it working? You know, yeah. a system that has accountability and parental choice, does it work? And the answer is, yeah, it works. Um, and, and so public schools get better when parents have choices outside the traditional schools. All schools get better. There's more dynamic kind of just it's it, it shouldn't be, you know, I mean, a confusing or complicated it's, thing, yeah. right? It's just that's how life works. Right. Um, we're all living in a world where the choices we have, as long as we're informed consumers, you know, to make these choices in a, in a thoughtful way that fit our needs, there's there's going to be better outcomes for everybody. And that's been proven by data, principally, I mean, in most places, Florida is used as the point of, you know, to 
you know, jumping off point in terms of the research, but now other states have followed. And it's, you know, it's pretty clear, unless it's funded by the teachers union, there's, there's some, you know, research that amazingly is kind of out of step with this. Public schools get better, all schools get better when parents are empowered to make these choices rather than the monopoly. Um, you know, I, it shouldn't be a complicated concept, but um, it seems to be yeah. still, I don't know. <laughs> Well, Jeb, um, we want to respect your time. Before we go, uh, this is our first podcast that also has video, and I've been admiring your background. Can you tell us about yeah. your background? Sure. Well, um, apart from the map, the uh, picture behind me is a picture that was painted by uh, one of uh, the Florida highwaymen, they've been now called. These were um, African-American uh artists that would paint typically uh, scenes of wild Florida, um, very similar to this one. This is a Ponciana tree that's uh, a beautiful tree, my favorite tree actually, that is all over Coral Gables where I live, but it's you know very common in, in um, subtropical environments. And uh, they would sell these along US-1 in Fort Pierce in St. Lucie County, charge, I mean, they, they got nothing back then and now someone you know people started collecting them and now you know unfortunately these paint you know, these artists are um passed they passed away most of them uh and they didn't get the full benefit of the of their great artistry right. in my mind but um i've tried to, i've tried to uh help as best i can i love this picture it just reminds me of uh the state i love yeah it's beautiful great. well jeb as you may recall from uh you are the second two-time guest on the podcast Guest, uh, you, follow, you followed Father Foley, who was the first two-time guest. So I would be second... offended if he wasn't the sec, yeah, the first one. I would, <laughs> I would have canceled my engagement. Um, he's doing well. I told him we we're doing this, and he said to say hello to you. Um, he's enjoying retirement over at uh, the Columbia Center with um, great treatment over there. Um, but if you recall, the last question that we ask every guest is, "Who is your greatest teacher, and why?" And you can't. I'm going to. Stun you here. You can't say who you did last time, but even though it was an amazing oh. answer, I still, I still remember your answer. I can't. I mean, because he was by far and away my best. I would say it was. No, no, no. You, uh, you said you, you said it was. You said it was your mom. Oh, okay. I can give that. I'll give you uh, that. That that is true. Um, God bless her. <laughs> she was my first teacher, and uh, if you're looking for moral education, right and wrong education, you know, look people in the eye, give them a firm handshake, say yes, sir, no, ma'am. Mm -hmm. when, you also uh, said that she others. taught you to, to read, and she she was um, really <laughs> your inspiration for your love of reading. That's true. Um, I re I remember <laughs> reading Zelda, Zelda the Zebra on a portable little toilet. Not only did I learn how to read, I learned how to be toilet trained thanks to my mom <laughs> at an earlier age than most people. That's Man, that was uh, that's probably too much information. <laughs> uh, so my my other. Uh, teacher was my high school Spanish teacher, who who was a Spaniard, uh, Don Angel Rubio, and he taught me and all of his students that we could read, we could learn Spanish, and we could read hmm. far more than we ever thought. I mean, he just he challenged us, and so you know, by the end of the year, we were reading the great works of Unamuno, Borges, the great Spanish uh, uh, writers. And um, wow. and so I, you know, that spark um, helped me uh, 
get more interested in Spanish and that Spanish interest took me to Mexico and that Mexico interest, uh, I was in high school. I met my wife, uh, and fell madly in love with her. Nice. I literally love at first sight. And we've been married 48 years. So That's both great. my mom and Angel Rubio deserve credit far beyond learning to read and learning how to uh, read Spanish. Uh, they, they added tremendous value to my life. That's wonderful. That's, that's awesome. And, um, um, was it your, what, or, uh, I know you're converted to Catholicism. Yes. Is that because of my wife, uh, <laughs> I cheated, uh, for, you know, my kids, we all, we went to mass, you know, when my kids were young and I was, I played like I was a Catholic and then, um, I realized, you know, come on, gotta get, I went to the RCI class after, uh, 1995. Great. So you, I actually consider you a real Catholic because you chose it, whereas I'm a cradle to <laughs> I'm a cradle yeah, to I, I was born, <laughs> born in it. That's it's great. a great, it's great. a great, uh, great, great faith, great tradition. Um, and I love the absolute nature of it. And I love the timeless nature of it. And there's, you know, we're living in a world that's so relative and gosh, I mean, our culture is collapsing in so many ways. And this is, you know, this is a loving counter to that. Absolutely. Well, Jeff, great to see you. Uh, wish we were in person, but maybe next time we could do it in person next year. Uh, well, you got to get Father Foley to do the third before I get my third chance. <laughs> <laughs> we'll always yeah. make him the, the, the first of the thirds. But Jeff, great <laughs> to see you. Thank you for your time. Thank you so much. And God bless you our, indeed. All of our listeners, uh, thank you for joining us in the next class. We hope you've enjoyed this conversation with Jeff Bush and Tom Burnford. Please share and like this episode with your friends. And we are grateful for you joining us on the first episode of the third season of The Next Class. Thank you.